The following podcast is brought to you by Radio Southland and New Zealand On Air. Radio Southland is a community access media station based in Invercargill, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website, radiosouthland.org.nz, for our contact details. Here on Radio South, the 96.4 and Coast Access Radio up in Kapiti, because this is Grinding Gears with Pete and Darren. Your weekly show about cars and drivers, enthusiasts, and the obsessed. This evening, here we're looking into AM radio. <clears throat> EV struggling with the cold and the heat, and Fords that could repossess themselves. All this and more coming right. <laughs>
back on Grinding Gears with Pete. Hey, Darren. Radio South, the 96.4, and Coast Access Radio in Capity. First up, automakers are dropping AM radio from EVs, and that could be disastrous in, well, emergencies. Yeah, more than 90% of people living in the United States can be reached via the AM radio now. But that could change if uh, more automakers drop the band. You know, several former federal emergency officials have written to the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, warning of the potential consequences of AM radio's discontinuation in new cars. They advise that by dropping the radios, drivers could be unreachable during times of local or national crisis. New cars, particularly electric vehicles, have begun to phase out the AM radio receivers over the last decade or so. Uh, with the launch of the 2023 Ford F-150 Lightning, however, Ford reportedly axed the AM band from its radio, and that could uh, put owners at, of new vehicles at risk of missing emergency broadcasts, former emergency officials say. Yeah, uh, last Sunday, seven former Federal Emergency Management Ad- Agency administrators, well, they need to make an acronym for that, Sent a letter to Buttigieg, <laughs> and that yeah, yeah, that's his name, expressing concern over the AM radios that are being excluded from EVs because of AM's low cost and long range. More than 90% of the people in the US are reportedly reachable by just uh, 75 AM stations equipped with uh, backup communications and generators, and they can broadcast through just about anything. But the former officials are now worried that citizens may one day be unable to receive the actual broadcast. Yeah, Craig Fugate, uh, head of FEMA, the F-E-M-A, under President Obama, reckoned uh, when all else fails, radio stations are often the last line of communications that communities have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Antoine Johnson, the current F FEMA official, added that AM radio has been tested over and over during the most devastating natural disasters and has withstood all of them. Well, John Connor you know, warned everybody about the Terminators coming. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, AM radios aren't on the verge of extinction yet, however. It's, you know, plenty of EVs and most regular cars still include them as standard equipment. Among these are the Hyundai Ioniq 5, the Toyota BZ4X, whatever that is, and the Chevy Bolt. Which is basically a Holden Barina. The format also retains an audience of 47 million nationwide in, in America, according to Nielsen, and it remains a must for many UK buyers. Yeah, it's even important here in New Zealand. AM radio was an information lifeline for many during uh, Cyclone Gabriel, when other sources watered without power. Now, a little known arrangement that puts proceedings of Parliament on the air has been cited as a threat to its future. But um, is a switch off here really likely? And what is being done to avoid it? Mm, Well, today FM's afternoon host Mark Richardson told listeners angrily on the day Cyclone Gabriel struck, government websites are a waste of time. All they've got is a transistor radio need to actually provide a means for these people who need the information to damn well get it. 
Yeah, he was venting in response to listeners without power complaining online information was inaccessible and pleading for the radio station to relay emergency updates over the air. And he's right, mobile phone and data services were yep, knocked out in many areas of electricity su- uh, supplies to towers were cut or faded away after backup batteries drained after 48 hours. Some places uh, FM radio transmission was knocked out, but nationwide AM transmission was still available. Yeah, Radio New Zealand News Chief Richard Sutherland told Media Watch soon after uh, this will sharpen the minds of people on just how important legacy platforms like AM transmission are in civil defence emergencies. But politicians on 15th February, Clerk of the House David Wilson told a select committee he might have to cut a 1.3 million annual contract to broadcast Parliament on AM radio. After, well, 87 years on air. The next day, the New Zealand Herald's Thomas Coughlin reported radio silence could come as soon as in the next financial year, on July 1st, unless additional funding is found in the next budget in May. Uh, In last Sunday's edition of Radio New Zealand's programme, The House, uh, also paid for by the Office of the Clerk... Uh, Wilson explained his spending cannot exceed his annual appropriation. Uh, He said his costs have gone up and the AM radio contract might have to make ends meet. Uh, Well, we're no experts, but 1.3 million seems like a splash in the bucket when you compare to the cost of things like cycle lanes to consultants. So that sounds a little bit of bureau BS for this week right there. Yeah, Radio New Zealand's Phil Pennington discovered himself how handy AM transmission was when he was dispatched from Wellington to Hawke's Bay when the cyclone Gabrielle struck. Several times on the road he had to switch to AM when uh, FM transmission dropped out. Mm-hmm. The chief executive Paul Thompson stated it puts a huge question mark on its sustainability because of the money the clerk pays for us to broadcast Parliament underpins the entire network. It is an irony that a time uh, when New Zealand has one of its biggest lessons about the importance of AM. It also has this challenge around its, you know, around its viability, even. Yeah, it was also a time when the funding of Radio New Zealand was under review after the collapse of the government plan for a new public entity with an annual budget of $109 million. Mm. Radio New Zealand's current annual budget is at the $48 million Less than a half. Thompson said it puts a lot of pressure on them as an organisation. They won't be able to pick up that $1.3 million cost. Parliamentary contract is, significant, is a significant contributor to RNZ being able to maintain the AM network nationally. He added this is such an important asset for New Zealand. It's a truly critical information uh, lifeline and we'll have to find a way to keep it going. Yes, some morning report listeners were apparently alarmed by questions marks over AM's future with one stating I live in central Hawke's Bay AM's the only strong signal uh, don't stop broadcasting on that frequency we need you, stay with us mm. uh, Glenn from Gisborne reckoned RNZFM was off the air for two days during Gabrielle but RNZ on AM kept going and it's got to be kept there are in fact two AM networks run by RNZ uh, one broadcasts the RNZ National from transmission sites all over the country. Uh, the other carries Parliament and 
as broadcast from fuel transmission sites and on a range of frequencies in different parts of the country. It also airs programs to customers including religious network Southern Star. Ewe broadcasters and some commercial broadcasters also use RNZ sites to broadcast locally. Yeah, when RNZ shut AM transmission down in Northland last November, the government urgently injected $1.5 million to upgrade the ageing sites. At the time, Emergency Management Minister Karen McAnulty said the radio was a critical information channel to help reach New Zealanders in an emergency. There you go. Mm. So, it will be interesting to see what happens with this. Uh, it's proved to be vital after recent events, but will the powers that be step up? Mm. Well, we don't know. If you're looking at financing a Ford in the future, you might have other worries. Yes, Ford has applied to patent self-repossessing cars that can actually drive themselves away. Elon Musk must be having a... Yeah. <laughs> Alternatively, uh, the car could just drive itself to a junkyard if it costs too much to repossess it. But, yeah, we are not kidding you. Yeah, average car payments have been rising for a while, uh, although auto loan repo rates have been down since the height of the pandemic. Ford applied for a patent to make the reposition process go smoother for the bank, that is. Yeah, well, the patent document was submitted to the United States Patent Office in August 2021. But it was formally published uh, just before on February 23rd this year. It's titled Systems and Methods to Repossess a Vehicle and describes several ways to make the life of somebody who has missed you know, several car payments a little bit harder. It explicitly says the system, which could be installed on any future vehicle in the automaker's lineup with a data connection, would be capable of disabling the function of one or more component of the vehicle. Everything from the engine... Right through to the air conditioning. And for vehicles with autonomous or semi-autonomous driving capability, the system would move the vehicle from the first spot to a second spot that is more convenient for a tow truck to come and pick it up. So move the vehicle from the premises of the owner to locations such as, for example, the premises of, yeah, well, a repossession agency itself. Or you just drive, the vehicle would just drive itself to the junkyard. Yeah, no other automakers have recently attempted to patent similar systems. And indeed, the Ford patent doesn't reference any other legal documents for the sake of clarifying its ideas. Uh, they might just be attempting to protect this idea for the sake of actually just doing it. Yeah. Uh, the idea does go into a lot of detail as to how such a system might work, though. Well, the first thing to know is that if your vehicle is connected to the internet in any way, the system could theoretically work on it. The application likewise describes a repossession computer that could be installed on future cars to make the system uh, function smoothly. Basically, if your car has an infotainment system already set up to receive something like, you know, the old over-the-air updates, this could probably work without much physical modification. Yeah, there will be several warnings from the vehicle before the system initiated a formal repossession. If these warnings were ignored, the car could... Uh, begin to lose functionality ahead of its reposition. The first loss of functions would be minor inconveniences, while the next level is more serious. It includes loss of things like key fob and an automated door lock unlock system, 
Likewise, an incessant or unpleasant sound may be turned on every time the owner is present in the vehicle. <laughs> and if all of that is endured by the car's owner, and payment still has not been received, they could get locked out of their car. Now, there are several caveats that go with this, uh, such as locking out the, on the owner only on weekends or allowing the vehicle use in emergency situations. Yeah, the repo will still eventually take place, though... And this is where it's explained that autonomous or semi-autonomous cars might make this process easier for the bank. First of all, it says the vehicle will use its onboard sensors to detect whether it's whether it is or isn't in a garage. If it isn't, then the car could, without the owner being aware, repossess itself or drive somewhere to avoid confrontation with the owner. Now, what about the junkyard? Well, the market value of the vehicle will be identified by the lending institution based on mileage, condition, and or certain costs associated with the repoing, such as, you know, towing, storage, resale proceedings, etc. Yeah, if it will cost the bank more to repo the vehicle as compared to what it could sell it for, then uh, the reposition system computer may cooperate with the vehicle computer to autonomously move the vehicle from the premises to the owner of a junkyard. The fact that Ford envisions autonomous cars will one day be worth so little that them driving themselves to the scrapyard makes financial sense might hint at the nature of this pattern. That being said, the fact Ford has uh, any level of interest in this sort of thing, whether it's just for the sake of protecting an idea or not, it's a little bit concerning. So on that uh, note, yeah, let's partake in a song break. Walking down. 
You're back on Grinding Gears with Pete Dinner. on Radio South to 96.4 and Coast Access Radio Capity. It's your grassroots car show. Coming up now, a sort of a Tesla time-ish, but a greater overall story, as electric vehicles once again grapple with cold weather and fail miserably. Yeah, a recent post by Canada's The Globe and Mail discusses the difficulties electric vehicle drivers have experienced in the extremely cold weather. The, sto- uh, the story is a uh, cautionary tale for people who live in the, some of the northernmost extreme regions of the world that regularly experience extreme cold. Extreme. Well, EVs, because they rely on batteries, struggle in the cold, with large declines in range and towing capabilities, which are yeah, often needed in the frozen expanses. There's an article uh, in Northern Norway's Bitter Cold, the durability of electric vehicles is put to the test. Norwegian journalist Nathan van der Klippe reports on recent cold weather tests of EVs in the Lapland proving grand. And after a night of minus 40 degrees Celsius, three of the five cars wouldn't even start. Yeah, bugger. <laughs> While not exactly uh, an anti-EV article... It does describe some of the dangers people from the far north face with vehicles that are less reliable in the cold. Vander Clippy interviewed an ambulance driver from uh, Hissing, whose coverage area extends the the Boyings. Bagonis? Bagonis? Maybe, maybe. I've never been to Bagonis. Might be a silent G, but I'm not too sure. Uh, but they, um, a drive of nearly 100 kilometres, the ambulance driver reports that he does not trust current electric vehicles to get the job done. Mm, well, Vander Klip, uh, Klippy writes that many people in northern Norway, especially those who live in remote homesteads, tow snowmobiles with them in case they are actually needed. And of course, towing can cut an electric vehicle range in half, especially in a region where distances are pretty immense. Yeah, some electric vehicle models are reportedly better in cold than others, but all suffer from decreased range and, and longer charging times. Well, Tesla, marketed as a cold-weather-friendly model in South Korea, was actually recently fined by the government for exaggerating the wintertime range of their cars when testing and experience showed the vehicle's range dropped far faster than what Tesla claimed in its ads. Uh, in Junio, Alaska... Uh, the city's first electric public bus could not hold a battery charge long enough to finish its route on cold days and required a, a heated garage. Yeah, winter's tough on any battery, and increased demand for home heating also put strain on the electric grid. And funnily enough, this is true in summer as well, as Californians found out from a flex notification on the California Independent System Operator, or CAISO. It's like Cassio, but Kai, so last summer. Yeah, Californians were informed that they should not charge their electric vehicles during heat waves because it would overload the grid as expected air conditioning use rises. Mm. Yeah, the CAISO told utility customers... Grid operators again asked the public to conserve electricity and help balance supply and demand on the grid and avoid service disruptions due to extreme heat across much of the southwest. Pre-charge electronic devices, close window coverings, and keep your home and apartment cool. Pre-charge electric vehicles. While some electric vehicles do fine when 
a home can place the car in a heated garage or a more expensive model electric vehicle with battery heating technology is used, this won't work for everyone in places where even gasoline cars can stroll. Mm, so both extreme cold and extreme heat can drain batteries quickly and you know, local grids. Yeah. And making locations with extended periods of cold or very hot temperatures you know, less than ideal for EV use. Long distances between population centres, harsh sub-zero temperatures and sub- sub-optimal road conditions all make EVs less appealing. So that means political mandates that stop the sale of combustion engine vehicles in these parts of the world before electric vehicle technologies have improved enough to become a reliable source uh, may not just be inconvenient or expensive, but it could actually turn out to be deadly. Dum dum dum. Well, we're not dead yet, so we're finishing up for this week. Just remember that one little thing. Don't be a dick. Make it click. The preceding podcast was brought to you by Radio Southland with the support of New Zealand On Air. Their funding of accessmedia.nz makes these podcasts available. To find similar programs by other stations involved, go online to accessmedia.nz. 